Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. You doing well? Yeah? All right. Good, 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 good. Um, we're continuing on our journey through Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 14 today. Before we get there, um, while you're looking that up, um, some of you already know that I'm kind of a fan of roller coasters. By the way, that doesn't mean I'm not terrified of roller coasters. When you go up the hill, you're like, I hate the old ones like that because that's terrifying. I hate them. But then when you get going, man, it's awesome. They're so much fun. But I want you to pretend like you're at an amusement park. And whether you are a roller coaster fan or not, pretend like you are a big roller coaster fan. And pretend like there is a ride and it's huge and it's fun and you have not yet been on it. All right? You get to the park and you get in the line. It's going to be a three-hour wait for a 45-second ride, <laughs> but you're looking forward to it. So you get in line, and, and people around you are talking, you know. Have you been on this? Yeah. I got to do this once. It was cool. And you, you hear people tell their experiences, and, man, it was so incredible. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. And you move ever so slowly more toward the front of the line. And now you're close enough that you can actually see the ride. Now, you can't ride it yet, but you can see it. And the, the anticipation just keeps building. And you see the faces of the people as they exit and the excitement and the enthusiasm that they have. And you're like, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. And you keep moving up and you keep moving up. And, moving up. and finally, you're at the front of the line. And even better, the front seat is open. You get that sense of anticipation, and here we go. That's basically how it is to this point in Luke. We have spent 11 weeks in the book of Luke. 11 weeks. So far, Jesus has said two sentences when he was 12 years old and three sentences at his temptation. That's all. We have been anticipating Jesus. We've been anticipating what he's going to say, what he's going to do. And finally, today, we get to hear him and see him. It's going to be great. Before we get there, we need to look at the very first phrase in the text, in chapter 4, verse 14. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. We need to remember the importance of the Holy Spirit. In the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has conceived him, anointed Jesus at his baptism, filled him, and led him to his face-off with the devil, empowered Jesus for ministry, and he's going to anoint Jesus for his ministry. We'll see in just a second. Now, you, if you are a Christian... The Holy Spirit is involved in your life. He, he's part of your spiritual conception. He's part of your baptism. He fills you and leads you. He empowers you to minister to others. And we, we see in other places in the New Testament that he also counsels you, encourages you, admonishes you, teaches you, and reminds you of the things that Jesus said. He is the truth who lives in you. He intercedes for you when you don't have the words to pray. He helps you in your weakness. He gives gifts to you so you can serve the church. 
and the world. He produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in you. And he is your comforter. And there are some people here today who need some comfort. So we're just going to pray about that right now. Lord, um, there are burdens, chains around some of us today that are just weighing us down. There is a focus on other things because there are burdens, there are, there are frustration, and there are, there are challenges. God, we know that your Holy Spirit is the comforter. And we just ask that you would pour him out even greater into our lives right now, and especially in the lives of those who need his presence. Give them comfort right now. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit is God living in you and combined with the Word of God. He is your best resource that's available to you every day as you walk on the earth. The Holy Spirit does incredible things in your life. So, never forget the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we turn our attention to Jesus and we go right back to our text Chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, clearly, Jesus has had an influence in the region. We, we don't know exactly what he said or did, but we're ready to find out. And it's, it's very important for us to notice that it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. The Jewish historian from the first century named Josephus said this, every week men should desert their occupations and assemble to listen to the law and to obtain a thorough and accurate knowledge of it. Now count Jesus among those who faithfully stopped everything each week to go and worship and study the word. Now, this isn't about being legalistic or checking off a box. I mean, do you do that when you eat? Right? Okay. Uh, breakfast. Yep. Check that off. Uh, lunch. I eat lunch today. Good, good. Uh, dinner. Had that too. Boom. What a great day. I fulfilled all those requirements. We eat because our bodies desire food. And we meet because our souls desire God. Let's continue with our text. We're, down, we're now in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? 
Now, Jesus reads a wonderful passage of hope from the book of Isaiah. There is good news for the poor. Captives will be released. Blind people will receive sight. The oppressed will be set free. The year of the Lord's favor has come. That last phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, there's a lot of discussion as to what that means. A lot of commentators believe that it's talking about the year of Jubilee. Michael Card writes, Jesus closes his reading with a reference to Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. This was a gift offered to the Israelites in Leviticus 25. Every 50 years, all debts would be canceled. Everyone who was a slave would be set free to be followed by a year-long celebration. Sadly, there is no indication that the Israelites ever celebrated Jubilee or accepted this extravagant gift the Lord had offered. As Jesus reads from Isaiah, he makes a bold declaration. He says, the reason all of these blessings are going to be released is because I am here. This is the time to act. God is moving. This is the era of salvation, and it's not going to be a year of jubilee. It's going to be millennia of jubilee. And it says in verse 22 that the people reacted favorably to this. He made a good impression in the area, and now the, the super popular boy has come back to his hometown. And they're excited about that because if he did good things everywhere else, can you imagine what he's going to do for them? I mean, they know him. They know his family. They are his friends and his neighbors. He's going to do great stuff for them, right? I mean, he kind of owes it to them. It's amazing how Jesus knows what our hearts are thinking, and he speaks Right to the dark parts of them. Look at verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up, Three years and six months, and a great famine came over the entire land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, the, the worship service began well, but at the end, they're ready to kill the preacher. All right? This is a bad thing. Why are they so upset? Well, the point that Jesus makes could not be more clear or shocking. He says, I am not your genie. I don't do miracles on command. I have great news, but you're not, you're not going to accept it any more than you accepted the year of Jubilee that God offered. 
even though you know things about me, you do not know me. And the very things that I say and do are going to challenge your understanding of what it means to know God. Do you remember several weeks ago when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord? Simeon said, this child is going to reveal the hearts of the people and many are going to oppose him. And 30 years later, for the first of many times, that happens. Well, it's not the time for Jesus to die, not yet. And so he miraculously slips through the crowds. Now, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. Well, nobody knows for sure, but we do know this. It shows that God is in control. And we need to trust in him when, when we're at the cliff and it feels like we're getting ready to go off. We need to just say, God, I would really like some relief. I would like some release here and trust in him. And, and when you walk with God on the mission that he has for your life, he's going to control all the times and all the events. And we don't have to worry about those things. And that's what Jesus does. He is walking out the mission that God has for his life. He's already talked about it, and now we're going to see him put it into action. And he went down, verse 31, and he went down into Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. Jesus casts out a demon which shows his power over evil, and the people are amazed. As the months unfold, we're going to see that Jesus continues to amaze people by what he says and what he does. Now, maybe God isn't casting out a literal demon from your life. But he is working to release the grip of evil things in your life, like power and gossip and greed and envy, lust, gluttony, lying, pride, hostility, bitterness, whatever those things are, these evil things are decreasing as the influence of the Holy Spirit is increasing. See, a life that's being transformed, truly transformed by God's power is every bit as miraculous as the demon being cast out. Amen? Have you seen that? Are you experiencing that? Well, after this life-changing miracle, oh, that hurt. After this life-changing miracle, Jesus continues on his way. All right, verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him, serve them. Now Jesus starts at the synagogue, but he immediately takes his ministry out 
into the streets. And our ministry must go beyond the doors of this building, beyond the church family, to the people outside. Right outside these doors, right outside the doors of your home, there are people who are lonely and hurt and broken and in need and sick. And they need someone to go to them. They need someone to go to them today. On the same day, right after Jesus cast out this demon, transformed this life, he walks outside the church house, and he goes down the street about 100 feet, and he finds someone in need. Now, Simon's mother-in-law had a high fever. That's all it says. But a high fever is still something that we're concerned about today, right? Now, I wasn't concerned about the high fever that I had. This was about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. I don't know. Um, but I had a fever, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and it got to 104. And my wife said, you are going to the hospital. And I, being a man, said, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm fine. This 104 temperature is my body taking care of the problem. Right? Guys, you know you're with me, all right? Well... She said, no, you're going to the hospital. And so we packed up, got in the car, took the kids, and drove to the hospital. My parents met us there, and uh, they immediately checked me in. And they put me in the infectious disease unit. Great place. Never been in the hospital before, except to visit people, you know. But I'm in the infectious disease unit. This is terrifying, you're in the room all by yourself, which you're thinking, oh, I like my room by myself. No, you don't. Not when you're in the infectious disease unit. You do not want to be isolated. You're like, ah, I'm going to die. And so the people come in. You don't even know who they are. You can't recognize anybody because everybody's totally, the only thing you see is their eyes, right? They come in, and they got all these masks and all this stuff on, and they look at you, and they poke you, and they prod you, and they take your blood, and they look at you, and they go, I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? I don't know. Bring in the specialist. And the specialist comes in. I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? I don't know. And they leave. And you're just laying there, and you're like, I'm going to die, I know I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And you're nervous, and you're scared, and you're like, what is going on? Well, they finally figured out that I had a staph infection. And it was a really good thing that my wife said, you need to go to the hospital, right? Guys, don't be stupid, okay? You know, just do what your wife says, because she's usually right. It's true. So fortunately, they gave me antibiotics, and uh, whatever they did. That things turned around. Now, what caused the high fever for this woman? We don't know. In that region, there was a lake, and, and there was a common illness called lake fever that came from the impure water. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was malaria. Maybe she had a staph infection. Nobody knows, but she had a high fever. Here's the difference. Modern medicine. I was at the Ohio State University. Great hospital. We have so many great hospitals here in Columbus. They had their best specialists come in, and they couldn't figure it out. When they finally did, it took like two days. Here's what Jesus does. He says, be healed. It happened. Now, some people, they thought, well, is it this infection? I wonder, I'll bet she sinned. I'll bet somebody sinned, because that was a common belief. And yeah, there are biblical examples of sin causing 
problems, and some of us have dealt with the consequences of sin, whether they're our own or someone else's. There's no indication that that's taking place here. Even if it was, all Jesus does is walk in and heal her. He's not concerned about the cause at this moment. He's worried about the cure, and he is the cure. He heals her instantly. No diagnosis, no tests, no gloves. He just heals her. He is like no one else. And this is remarkable. It says, immediately, she got up and began to serve them. Now, it's a sidebar, but this is a good question. When God does something really good in your life, is your response to be thankful and immediately look for someone you can serve? I wonder about my own life that way. Well, from there, Jesus continues to tangibly live out this prophecy from Isaiah. Verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Luke says that Jesus just keeps serving people, helping people. Now, why did Jesus say, be quiet to the demons? Well, we don't know for sure. It's a really good study. If you're interested in that, spend some time on it. But we do know this for sure. Jesus is not so interested in headlines. He is interested in fulfilling the mission that God has for his life. He just keeps serving. He's not seeking the spotlight. He, he heals, and he touches, and he releases, and he helps, and he restores. And you know what that does to Jesus? Hear this. This may be the most important thing some of us hear today. It wears him out. You cannot serve and pour out and pour out and pour out and not be refilled and renewed and restored. If Jesus needed that, don't we? Look what it says in verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. We're going to see this over and over in the life of Jesus. This is a desperate issue for a lot of us, and we know it. We're worn out physically, emotionally, spiritually, and everything in us cries out for renewal. But we often completely avoid that very thing. And God continuously reminds us of it. And we ignore it. One of the most spiritual things some of us need to do this week is to stop. To be still. To go for a brief time to a solitary place and be with God. And be renewed. Because after Jesus does that, then he is ready again to serve. And again, if Jesus needs it, why do we think we don't? Well, Jesus continues with his mission. The last half of verse 42. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus makes it really clear the good news isn't just for one group of people, 
in one place. It needs to go out to all the towns. It's why we keep focusing on the people who don't yet know who Jesus is. They haven't embraced him. Jesus faithfully shared the good news through his words and his actions. And what is that good news? It's this. Jesus has the power over sin, over evil. And we'll see eventually over death. Isaiah mentioned only four of the many evils that plague our world. Poverty, bondage, and and blindness, and oppression. And Jesus has power over all evil. And the devil cannot stop it. We need to know that in this spiritual war, this is not an equal battle. God and Satan are not equivalent. God is all-powerful. The devil is not. God is all-knowing. Satan is not. God is all-present. Satan is not. So we need to focus what keeps us chained up, what, what holds us as a prisoner. God can release us from that. What has you wrapped up in worry or frustration or unrepentance or brokenness, unforgiveness, anger, addiction, or bitterness? No matter what it is, God can release you from it. It might be through some physical miracle, but most importantly, Jesus can free us from our spiritual chains. Release is coming because God is Elohim, mighty and strong, El Shaddai, sufficient, Adonai, the Lord, Yahweh, I am, Jehovah Jireh, our protector, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd, El Elyon, God most high. Brothers and sisters, no matter what's holding you, there is good news. We have a liberator, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Jesus fulfills this wonderful passage of hope from Isaiah. There is good news for the poor. Captives will be released. Blind people will see. The oppressed will be set free. The season of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus can liberate you today. Pray for sweet release. And if you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord, you can do that today. As we sing, you can come forward and we can talk with you and pray with you about what that means. Right now, we're going to pray one more time. God, you know there are things that just have us chained, and we are in bondage. You know our struggles. And God, you can release us. God, we trust your power because ours isn't sufficient, so we ask you to be released in us so we can be released from our bondage, and we can be released to serve the world in your name. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Doing something. Um, Okay, so we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. You thought we were done, didn't you? (laughs) Talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the role of Jesus. It's not in our text, but it's in what Jesus has told us. Again, we know this. We as his disciples then must take this message to other people. We have to go. Now, you're probably not going to cast out a demon or heal someone of a disease this week. I mean, maybe you will, but it's probably not going to happen. But here, 
is what we can do. Isaiah has given us, again, just four areas that the message of Jesus can make a difference. The first one is poverty. We need to share good news among the poor. And yes, the church continues to serve the poor today, physically poor. There are people who need stuff, who need things. They just don't have them. And in Matthew 25, this is a scary passage, but Jesus makes it very clear that the people who have really surrendered to God are going to automatically go out and serve other people, and that's how he's going to separate us. If you helped, it shows that you were really committed to Jesus. If you didn't, it shows that you really weren't. So Jesus says you need to go and help the poor and the marginalized in your society. But it's not just physical poverty, and sometimes we get stuck on that, and we shouldn't ignore that, but it's not the only thing. Spiritual poverty is so important. That's really the reason Jesus came. That's really what he's talking about primarily in this. He's saying there is a spiritual poverty that this world has that I am coming to release. I'm coming to lift it. I'm coming to give spiritual riches to you. And we need to go tell people that. And the physically poor are everywhere, and so are the spiritually poor. Harder to see with physical eyes, but God will reveal those people to us in our lives that we can share the good news with. There is release for the captives. The church has always been at the forefront of releasing people in captivity. You guys know this. This is true. Slavery and human trafficking are very much alive today. They are alive in our city. And followers of Jesus must help break those horrible chains. There are other people who are captive to any number of addictions. And again, the people of the church must take the good news that there is release available for the captives. There is sight for the blind. There are people everywhere with problems and diseases. And they, they might be physical or spiritual or emotional blindnesses, diseases, things that are causing problems. And, and they need to know that there's hope in Jesus. So we need to go help them and serve them and, and hold them and pray with them so that things can change for the better in their lives. There's freedom for the oppressed. Oppression takes many forms and God is opposed to all of them. And again, the worst is this spiritual oppression, a darkness that can be lifted in the life of an individual or even in a culture as the good news of Jesus penetrates lives and cultures. This is not easy stuff. Life is messy. You're going to get criticism if you help. Jesus did. Helping people is messy because life is messy. But it's also what Jesus told us to do, and we look a lot like Jesus when we do that. Brothers and sisters, we are anointed, we are empowered to go see, teach, to go out, to serve. And when we go, people hear the message of hope. There is good news for the poor. Captives will be released. Blind people will see. The oppressed will be set free. The season of the Lord's favor has come. Let's stand. And when we stand and sing these words, may they be a commitment from us back to God. Lord, we are going to go.